0: Well, you may be wondering why at this little podium, I want to differentiate between me. I am not an elder of our church. They asked me to teach. I think that is a gift. These are gifted men that God has given us, and uh, God willing, that's what we're going to go over tonight. As we get ready as a church to go into Titus, we're getting ready to go into the what is it, 5th chapter? I believe they're going to, or they left off at 3. They stopped at 3, didn't they? So they'll take off at 4, so we'll start to get into the qualifications of elders. And uh, hopefully here tonight, I'm going to try to make the case, and it's, it's not a hard case because it's here. If it's in Scripture, that's what it is. It's, is elder rule biblical? That's what we're going to look at tonight. And we will see that it is very much so biblical. So five things I want us to think about. And uh, as a church, it needs to be healthy. These are the five things that a church needs. They're foundational. They're skeletal, if you will. It's things that we must have as a church to be a healthy church and to grow. And to grow flesh and to flesh out and be strong. These are things that we need. Number one, knowing and glorifying God should be our chief goal. So obviously, if you don't have men who are called... And that's not their priority, then you're already slipping from the jump. You need to have men who their chief goal is to glorify God and not to be men-pleasers. It is to honor our God. Number two, the absolute authority of Scripture. Scripture is our authority at this church, and it should be at every church. But that is not the case. And godly men... That You put in place will determine that they're going to determine the descript- the scripture so number three which that brings us to is sound doctrine If we have a high view of God and are committed to him We must follow what his word teaches and sound doctrine fills that word is right For example, we, we talk about doctrines here doctrine of election doctrine of sin All these are what it's theology right things. We need to learn and know things. We believe as a church So these men that we call to be elders must have that sound doctrine so they can teach us. That's pretty obvious. That's a must-have in the church. Number four, for elders and for us as well, personal holiness. We must maintain firm standards of the personal holiness and be careful what we expose ourselves and our children to. So it's kind of be in the world, but not of the world, right? That's what we want to be. Our leaders should have that. They should have a holiness about them. They're not visiting bars and all this other junk, right? They should be clearly uh, God-ordained people. Number five, spiritual authority. And uh, go to Ephesians 4.15 with me, if you would, please. happen to do it the squirrel way um he's used to this technology i'm used to the pages i left my asv at home all right ephesians 4:15. but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is christ even christ the head so Christ is the head of the church, and he mediates his rule in the church through godly elders. That's how he rules, not through one individual, which is what we're going to get into is before we jump into the scriptures, what church leadership is not. And I will tell you from being Baptist, I've grown up in churches, and in my short time in a church, I probably left around 25, 28 years old, somewhere in there. And I probably had six pastors roll through there. It's, it's a revolving door. The pastor, instead of taking care of one particular group of people whom he should love and sacrifice for, goes on to greener pastors. Instead of leading the people to these green pastures, he's worried about himself. So that's not what we're looking for. And if we come to this, it, our church, number one, what it's not, it's not a democracy. That's not the way God intended it. That's not what this church is and that's not how it runs. The people do not lead the church. If the church body collectively get to decide the direction of the church, they will vote in things that benefit them most or things they desire or makes them feel good. They will not vote for what's best for them spiritually. So they're just going to be more like um, some of your Presbyterians, that's how we go off the rail if we start listening to people rather than the word of God. You will allow all kinds of heresies into the church. It's kind of like our country, right? People vote, and they vote in the person that gives them the most stuff. Not necessarily a person that's best for the country. It's going to help our country grow and be better. No, what happens is we vote in people that are going to benefit us most. And that's not what we do as a church. We don't vote on things. On 2 Timothy uh, four three, there. Go to that passage for us, please. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. I think we see that a lot in the church today. We see men pick men out maybe because they're a good businessman or maybe because they're just a good speaker but they lack one of our key building blocks which is holiness or one basic thing is a love for the people that they're trying to lead which is what we do at or what they do as elders. They shepherd the sheep. So I think a lot of other things that can be impacted by a, a democracy in church is music I think us as a church, we came through some hard times in music. We had some people leave because we changed directions rather than being more. I won't say we were worldly, but we were allowing some music that was not edifying into the church on the basis of people suggesting things. So rather than go from scripture and say, is this biblical? You kind of start to feel peer pressured by others in the church to say, well, let's sing this. So we have to set standards. So the men of the church, those men, those elders, have to set that standard of what we preach, what we teach, what we listen to. All that stuff matters because it's what's in it. It's what we believe. Alistair Begg says, The shepherd does not lead the sheep where the majority of the sheep want to go, but rather they are to lead the sheep to rich pasture that is healthy and refreshing and secure. Elders do not let the sheep determine the direction of the church, just like we don't allow our children to determine the direction of the family. I don't let my kids pick where we bank at. I don't let my kids tell me where we're going on vacation. I don't let them pick my job. You know, I don't let them pick the neighborhood. Why? Because they're not very wise. <laughs> they're not wise. They're growing, and they're going to grow in wisdom. We don't want unwise people leading our church. That's exactly why. It's not a democracy. We don't allow people to choose it that's lay people or church people because we're all growing in wisdom. That's why we pick the best of us, those whom are mature Christians. As we start to get into these words, these Greek words, you'll start to see what they mean. What it does not mean is like elder led churches the church body can bring ideas to the elders. They can consider it, but at the end of the day, the elders make the decision here at this church. You can bring them ideas and say, hey, what about this? And they can say, that's not biblical. <laughs> or they can say, that's a good idea. Let's see how we can implement it. But we, and, and I know Jason and Josh, are more than glad to hear ideas and work with you. So remember, the eldership is not responsible. Now remember this. Listen. The eldership is not responsible to the congregation of God. They are responsible for the congregation of God. That's a big difference. Your souls are their responsibility. They are to shepherd you. And I can tell you, because I've been in that role, it is a heavy weight to know that you are to shepherd those people and to love them and to give them good godly advice. And I don't know that many men would say, oh, yeah, I'm completely qualified to do that. I'm doing a great job. We can always do better. I think Jason and Josh are doing a fine job. And as a church, I hope we grow in that. Um, for Let's go to Hebrews thirteen seventeen real quick. This will be a sword drill tonight, just so that you know. welder fingers. They don't work. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This tells us right there to submit to those who he has put in place. That's why it's important not that we don't lay hands on people too quickly we pick the right men to put into that place and we're not to grieve them to the point where they can't focus on their job let's see alright so number two and the example part of this that what not we don't want the church to look like the second example of the leadership in many churches is a dictatorship it came from that I've seen that you have a pastor he's heavy handed he he rules. And I heard Tom Pennington say he had a, a guy, he said that he's not a dictator, he's the only tater in the church. <laughs> That's how brazen and bold these people are. They believe that they are the man, and nobody will tell them anything. It's a very selfish attitude. It's my way of the highway attitude, right? A lot of us come from Baptist churches, we've seen that, and if the pastor doesn't get his ways, sometimes he'll just leave up and leave. This can happen in an elder-led church. You know, it can be... Somebody can become heavy-handed if there's not balance. There has to be balance in the church. Nobody can be afraid of the one guy who is the main teacher or um, a main elder leader. You can't have fear. There has to be unity and an ability to communicate. You can't have one that's heavy because he needs to be replaced if he's being abusive. And I know... The Mars Hill Church had a guy, they, he, they put him out. I think it's Mark Driscoll, I think was his name. So he got put out because of that. He was being abusive, overly abusive to his people. So uh, the number three, what church should not look like, we all know it too, is like autocracy. Like the Pope, you know, the Catholics, they determine, the Pope determines what the people will believe or how they're, what they're going to allow in him whether it's homosexuals or not, or abortion or not. There's so many things that it's slowly starting, that they held a hard line on, you know, but you see it start to fade. Because what? Peer pressure. It's just allowing the world into the church. So let's get into the biblical evidence for the plurality of elders. So we're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to work our way through the Bible. There are two words used for the elder in the Old Testament. The first and the most used word for elder is a Hebrew word. 178 times it's used in the Old Testament. It's called Zalkane, and it's spelled Z-A-Q-E-N. And the meaning of this word is mature age. So this man is a mature person, older. The second word is an Aramaic word. It's only used five times in Ezra. And it means gray-headed. So you see where this is going? Older men should be in this position. That's not the rule. You know, that's just, that's what it should be most of the time. That don't mean it's going to be that way all the time. God occasionally gifts younger people, and you can see it through Scripture, to do amazing things. But that's not the way it is the majority of the time, right? All right. Here goes the sword reel. You Ready? We're going to jump in first, we're going to jump into first kings, and we're going to read uh, chapter 12. We're going to go 1 through 15. <coughs> so this is where Rehoboam is becoming king. <clears throat> then Rehoboam went to Sechem, from all Israel, for all Israel had come to Sechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him and Jeroboam, and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, Depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to the people today and will serve them, and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So these young men that he's speaking of, these are not like kids on the street. These people grew up in the king's court. They're brats. They're brats that grew up in the king's court. They're young men who have not experienced life. So he said to them, "'What counsel do you give me, that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, "'Lighten the yoke which your father put on us.' The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, "'Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, "'Your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, "'My little finger is thicker than my father's loins.' Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, day, as the king had directed, saying, Return to, to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders, which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah, the Shilonite, and to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So you see what happens when men forsake godly counsel. And, these, and that elder, in that sense, has been used for what? There's, we know Ezra, it's only five times that it's used for you know, gray-headed. So it just means mature age. He is an elder. They are wise men. But he forsook their counsel before the men that were beside him. Because they told him what he wanted to hear. That's what it comes down to. And that's what, you know, you, you get a dictator in place like a church, and you get yes men, and you'll run into a lot of trouble that way too. They'll drive the church into the ground. <coughs> all right, Genesis 57. Hard to do like I do in class. Make each one of you get a verse. <coughs> I'm not used to speaking all the time. Genesis 50, verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. So you see there's two uses right there. The elders of Egypt and the elders, the Israelites, the Hebrews with Joseph were going up. So it's a common thing you'll start to see all through scripture that even the pagans had elders in their cities. You can read about it that were a common thing to have the grey headed, the mature age men leading the cities or towns. Let's go to Second Samuel twelve, seventeen. All right, Will. I can get my finger to work, sorry. Now, Jonathan and Emma has, we're staying in. That is not the right verse, guys. <laughs> Second Samuel 12, 17. Yes. But that's not the right verse if I'm on it. I think I've hit the wrong thing. Are you in first Samuel? Ah, ha ha. either i've wrote the wrong thing down or i keep hitting the wrong thing i should have brought my i've got it i can read it oh can you Uh, read it please it's uh where david's child dies yeah that's it Uh, david's child does and uh and the elders of his house stood beside him beside david to raise him from the ground but he would not nor did he eat food with Yeah, and, and thank you for that. That's the elders of the house. So the same word is the mature age word we was looking for. So just to develop a pattern. So you see it, you're going to see it in Kings. You're going to see it in the Judges. You're going to see it all through here as we go through it. So I just want to make sure that you see that it's not a one and done. The Israelites used this system all the way throughout, even the time of Jesus. So that's kind of get you through that. So Judges eight fourteen. And he captured a youth from Succoth and questioned him. Then the youth wrote down for him the princes of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. And So, once again, that's of the town that the Israelites was getting ready to invade (coughs) or take or capture or whatever. Ruth 4, 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You were witnesses today that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Imelech and all that belonged to Shalim and Mahalon. So elders, once again, same word. Keep in mind it's mature age. Let's go down to Exodus 3.16. Or back, back to Exodus go and gather the elders of the of Israel together and say to them the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt Exodus 4:29 Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders Of the sons of Israel. So Moses, you see it through Exodus, you see it more than a few times. You remember when um, Moses was his father in law came and he encouraged him to actually make these elders, to make people what would be over the different tribes so that he didn't have to manage the whole of Israel by himself, which is a good idea. Uh, Exodus 12, 21, we'll do that, and then we'll go down to 2 Samuel. If somebody got that, read it for me. I've hit the phone. Yeah, read it. Verse 21. Yes, sir. And Moses called for all elders of Israel. All right, right, Second Samuel, once again. Now Abner had consultation with the elders of Israel, saying in the times past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. So the elders of Israel, see that again. First, uh, let's see, 2 Samuel 5, 3, while we're there, again. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and the king David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. They then they anointed David king of Israel. Till so there the elders were there when David was being anointed king. All right. Second uh, uh, let's go down to 1 Kings. We went through that enough. Let's go to 1 Kings 20 verse 7. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, "Please observe and see how these men, how this man, is looking for trouble. For he sent to me, many. For he sent to me <clears throat> for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him." All right. Same word in First Kings. We'll go on over to chapter twenty-one, verse eight, and then we'll go the New Testament. So she wrote letters to Ahab's name. Letters in Ahab's name. Sorry. And sealed them with his seal. And sent letters to the elders. And to the nobles. Who were living with Naboth. In the city. Alright. Losing my voice. Let's go to the New Testament here. So. Remember those those words are the definitions of those words. Gray headed, mature age. You're going to find that the same thing applies more so in the New Testament too. <clears throat> the first word, and the word used most often in the New Testament, is used 65 times in the New Testament. And this word, when you hear it, uh, I want you to think of spiritual maturity. That's what we want to think, think about. And let's go to Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 3. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some of the Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. So that's the centurion. He's sending these Jewish elders to go search for Jesus and bring him back. And in Luke twenty two, sixty-six, when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes, and they laid him away, led him away to their council chamber, saying, So this is right when the <clears throat> the scribes were taking hold of Jesus. You see their elders, they're supposed to be spiritual men of maturity, but you know, they're doing the wrong thing there. Let's go to 1 uh, Peter, and remember, spiritual maturity, when you hear this word, presbyteros, is the Greek word for that. The, and, and also, it's kind of derivative of, you've heard Presbyterians, that's kind of where they gather their word from. Presbyteros, spiritual maturity. All right, First Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I exhort the elders, the men of spiritual maturity, among you as your fellow elder, spiritual maturity, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. An Elder... Obviously, here is a person that should not be out for themselves. This person should have a desire. It speaks of a desire. We talk about that sometimes about elders. They should have a desire for that job. Not necessarily a desire to preach, but an elder can take on many capacities in a church. When there's a lot of people, you can have a plurality of elders if God gives you so. So you can have elders that are just leading elders. And not necessarily preaching elders. But every elder will teach. They have to teach. If they can't teach, then they're not an elder. They can be a deacon if they can't teach. Didn't mean to look at you, Tig. <laughs> I didn't mean to look at you, Tig. Uh, Acts twenty 17. Let's go there real quick. I'll look at you next, Joe. Joking, in hell. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So that's, remember, spiritual, spiritual maturity. Now, the next word that we're going to go look at, <clears throat> and this word's only used seven times in the uh, New Testament, and it is episkopos. And that is spelled e p e e p i s k o p o s don't say that too fast <clears throat> and that means overseer or bishop and it and depending on like the I think the King James used bishop a lot in that and i don't I haven't read my King James in a while but uh, if anybody has do anybody have a king james you do how's it read Debbie <laughs> Oh, Debbie. I don't hear well. Oh, I'm going to have to come over there and yell at you, Debbie. That's all right, Debbie. I'm kidding. But it's in this word, when you hear it, you're going to think about spiritual authority. So in Acts 20:28, 20, let's go to that. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, there's something you need to notice about this. And in verse 28, what does it say? Who makes elders? Does the people? mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's not the people. The people don't make it. They don't make elders, and they don't, We recognize people that are elders in the church. Now, your elders should recognize those gifts first in the body of Christ, but you should see those gifts of leadership, of love, of compassion, of service. Of He can handle the word well. So elders are recognized to be elders already in place. The elders that are already in place, they will recognize that, and they're affirmed by the local body, which is us. When we bring them up and we say, okay, yes, we've all seen that in them. But if there's something that would cause them to be, not be up for that position, then we could come forward and say, no, we know this of them. <clears throat> They're not holy as they claim to be or whatever. And it could, it could happen. Sometimes you think you know people, and it don't. So that's why you go to the body and make sure they are who they say they are because you need to spend time with them. You know? And they need to spend time with you more, more so than you spend time with them. We need to know our elders. We need to know who's teaching us. We should know their life away from here. How do they act? Are they really godly? How's their children? You know, that's a big part of it. You'll start to get into uh, some of the text this Sunday. As Josh starts to go into it, I assume he'll be doing it since Jason text uh, did it last week, preached. So uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. What time is it? I'm good? Okay. I can't tell. Like I said, I ain't done this in a while. I feel like I'm flying. I probably am. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, and this overseer word here is what? Spiritual authority. If you desire to be a spiritual authority, the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It's not a bad desire, which takes us to desires in themselves. Not all desires are bad. We can have good desires. To be a a deacon is a good desire. It's a service. To be the pastor is a good desire. Or a elder is what we call it. Um, And that's important that it is a desire. And it's not just a want to have authority or power, because that's bad. And we need to recognize that in men, and it will show pretty quick, usually if they're power hungry. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Both of those words, once again, spiritual authority, when you hear that. In Titus 1, verse 7 For the overseer must be above reproach, as God as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of fond of sordid gain, so not desiring money, not putting his will above the body. He should be a man who desires to lay down his life for them, his time, his efforts, and that's what Josh does. You know, you know he's bivocational. <clears throat> I don't know. Y'all know how hard that is. Just what I did this week took me hours upon hours upon hours, going to do strong concordances and all this stuff, trying to find all this stuff. It takes hours and hours to prepare a sermon, and then you have to pray and pray. There's a lot that goes into shepherding sheep and getting the word right. When I stand here before you, I'm like, and that's what I told Sean, I said, as long as you know, God's okay with me doing this. I can be a little jittery, but I want to make sure what's coming out is his word and not my words. And it's with Josh or as with Jason or with me right now. If I say something that's false, we as a congregation have the obligation to call them out or me out. And that's in, it shouldn't be something we should be afraid of. That's why we should have that relationship with them, right? We should have that love for them and say, "No, what you said wasn't right, or to me, what you did wasn't right, or how you treated me wasn't right." That's why we are relational people. We should definitely be active in trying to build that relationship with Josh, with Jason, with one another. And that's that bond we have in Christ should overcome any hurt or sin that we may encounter from one another. <clears throat> Next word. Let me say this right, poimen, it's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N, and this word is the word that you'll see shepherd in the scripture, and you won't, you won't see it very often, uh, and it means it speaks to responsibility, what their job is. Their job is to shepherd the sheep, to lead us to good pasture, to feed us good food, to be good examples. And give wise uh, counsel when we come to them. Of course, they're going to be counselors. If you've got problems in your marriage, you financial problems, I mean, spiritual problems, you name it. You know, they should be the people we are comfortable to go to, and know that that's going to be between me and you, the pastor. There's nobody going to hear about it, and that's the kind of love that I know Josh and Jason both have, and. And I've been counseled with them before, and I've sought counsel outside with pastors of different churches before. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We all have problems, and we should trust Josh and Jason enough to go to them <clears throat> and confide in them. And uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. And remember, this is responsibility when we're looking at this word. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Of course, <clears throat> speaking of the chief shepherd, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but for us, you know, Josh and Jason are the shepherds of our souls here on this earth. At this particular time, we place placed them. That's why membership is uh, an important thing. People think, well, why do I need to be a member? Well, when you place your membership at a church, you're placing yourself under the authority of the eldership or a dictatorship. I don't know. A pastor. I don't know. But when you place membership, you're putting yourself under the authority of the church. And when you place your membership here, you've placed yourself under the authority of the eldership. If you get caught in wrong, you know you're going to be called out and restored. But then it's important to have that accountability. And that's why, and you see in all of this, in these elder words, it's not a singular word. It's plural. It's plural. That means there should be more than one. There's accountability there. If you get one man at the top, he's a dictator. He's going to determine where the church goes. Who knows if he's right or wrong. He's not seeking counsel. He's an island unto himself, if you would. And you can't have that in a church. You need godly men and a plurality of godly men. And once again, we don't determine <clears throat> the amount of elders we have in our church. God determines that. The Holy Spirit determines that. He gifts the people. He gives those gifts. We don't determine that. We can't say, we've got five and we're good. We don't want no more than that, Lord. No, if he gives you ten, then you need to equip them and build them up. And hopefully, as a church, we send them out. To help other churches grow who don't have that. So the idea is to continue to disciple and make people more like us as we grow in Christ. We want to be like Christ, so we want them to mimic that. 1 Peter 5, 4 and 5. I did not do that, did I? I don't think so. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfaded crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. There's those two words, look, at the same time. So it's talking about the same men. The shepherd word is for what? Responsibility, speaking to responsibility, the chief shepherd He's responsible for us, but also Jason and Josh are responsible for us once again. And you see, the young, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And that word is what it speaks for spiritual maturity. They should be wiser in the world. Are they smarter? Not necessarily. Doesn't mean that they have they outrank you in brain power or anything. Spiritual maturity is a whole lot different than just brain smarts or book smarts. That's where you age in life. You're going through life and you hit those trials and those bumps. You've had time to grow. You've had time to weather storms so that you can help others go through those storms. It's not about how much you know, how much theology you know. You can have people who know all the theology in the world and can't apply it in love. They're just hard. I mean, they mean well, but they don't They've never been shepherded themselves. You can see pastors that's come out of seminary and do stuff like that. They have knowledge without love. <laughs> and what's the scriptures tell us about that? You're clinging gone, you know. You're not you're not doing anything to help that person if it's not in love. Let's go to Acts chapter 20, 17. Sword drills almost done. Uh, and we're also going to do... We'll do 17 to start with. And then we'll jump down to 28. And go 28 through 30. <clears throat> the same verse we've done a little bit earlier. For Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Jump down to 28. And that word elders is presbyteros, which is spiritual maturity. Once again, just showing you that in the same verse, these words are used interchangeably to... Talk about an elder, pastor, shepherd. We're talking about the same thing, the same person. Let's see. So we're going down to 28 through 30. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What is that? That's the Episcopos, spiritual authority. They have that authority over you, those overseers. So when you see overseers, think spiritual authority. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells. Who's the cells? He's talking to elders. From their very own cells may come, arise speaking perverse things from their own selves, from the elder group themselves, people can come and they can lead you astray. That's why we have to be vigilant and that's why you need a plurality of elders too, that are wise and knowledgeable in the scriptures, no sound doctrine, so that we're not led astray as a church. Because once the leadership gets off the beam, guess what? It's not long till the rest of us are going to get off there too. Let's go to Hosea 4 and we'll That'll be the last sword drill I do for you, and then we'll finish. Hosea chapter 4. We're going to go through verse 1 through 12. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day. And the prophet also will stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God I also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will ch- change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity, and it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough they will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the lord so his people perishing for a lack of knowledge you see there's an old saying the way the people go is you know the priest however the priest however the par- the pastor whoever's in charge leads and that's naturally the way the people's going to go that's the way the sheep go they follow the shepherd They don't know if he's bad or good. (laughs) They don't have the knowledge, right? They can be deceived. They're just sheep. We're not wise. (laughs) We need lots of help. And that's why a plurality of elders is a very important thing for us as a church. And I pray in the future, you know, and we plan for it. We are trying to work toward that to see if God raises up more people in our church, men that are willing to lead. We're looking for that. We should be constantly looking for that, to find men that are willing to lead and sacrifice their time and shepherd the body. That's an important part of our church, and I'll read this quote from uh, Spurgeon. He says, and he's talking of his church, and it was about death in the church. A lot of death was going on, and He's talking about his elders, and here we have elders, and those who are elders in office should be chosen because they have had spiritual experience or well-taught, and this spiritual experience is not like we think of today. It's not, we're talking about experience through life, not having an ah moment or ah, I've seen something or, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit. No, we're talking about life experience. These men have had life experience. Spiritual, I want to make sure I got there. I don't want you all to think I'm charismatic. Taught in the things of the kingdom of heaven and are therefore elders by grace as well as elders by office. But in all our churches, we have many who are babes in Christ, who as yet can only receive the elements of the gospel. We have many others who are young men, strong, but are not matured. They have the vigor of manhood, but they have not yet the ripeness of Of advanced age. The elders in the church are those who by reason of years have had their senses exercised. They are not the saplings of the forest, but a well-rooted tree. They've had time to grow. And that's the kind of men we're looking for. What does it look? Talk about gray hair. Gray hair. You know, older, wiser. That's the natural order that we mean my grandfather that's who i'd go to for advice i didn't listen to my mom and dad much probably should have (laughs) but i would go to him because i always thought he was wise and i think you know that's naturally our step is as people to go to those you know that's been in our lives the longest we've seen them struggle through things and hurt and pain and us as a church we have godly men that he's given us and we need to be in prayer for them Every week, be in prayer for them as they prepare their sermon. That's a good thing to do, to practice, to do every day. Pray for them as they pray. Because like I said, it takes a lot of work to prepare, to read, to study, and the prayer that goes into it just themselves. Be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for our church to raise up those men, to recognize those men, and to cultivate those men and make them and help them grow into godly men that we can eventually... As our church is blessed and grows, if God sees fit, we can send them out and maybe even plant more churches that are elder-led. And that's all I've got, guys. Uh, Let's close in prayer. Father, as we come before you once again, we recognize all the blessings you've poured out upon our church the many people that you've given us, loving and kind and sacrificial. We thank you for those elders that you've given us, that they are sound in their doctrine, and their theology, that they teach us, they are wise. Lord, And we just give you thanks that we have this church, this body that we can come to and hear your word preached and taught. We thank you most of all for Christ and all that he has done on our behalf. For this amazing grace that we are unworthy of. That Christ came. Lived a perfect life. That he suffered upon that tree for us. That he took your wrath that we deserved upon the cross. And he, before he yielded up his spirit, he said it is finished. Thank you that it is finished. That our hope is in Christ and Christ alone and not in anything we can do or ever accomplish, our works, nothing. We can never earn what you have given us. Thank you for this great gift. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your blessings on this church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray you would continue to bless our church and help us to grow. Help us to honor, glorify you and all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.